What's up, you guys? Jalen Gasper coming at you live again uh, with another episode of E2 the Podcast, E Squared the Podcast. And today we will be talking about an extremely, very, very, indubitably controversial episode. Today we'll be talking about nationalism. And no, we're not going to be talking about white nationalism. We're going to save Richard Spencer and all his motherfucking fucking imbeciles of followers on another episode. And plus, I feel like last season we covered white nationalism and white racism quite a bit. So today we will be talking about the most toxic nationalism that there is to have, and that's black nationalism. Now... Before you guys get mad at me, before you guys get mad at me, because he was like, what What the fuck, this dude doesn't believe in black nationalism? No, I don't. It's stupid and it's idiotic and it's dogmatic. But before we get into that, before I make you guys mad, uh, <laughs> I just want to thank you guys for being so receptive to last week's episode when we were talking about the government shutdown, why the government was still shut down. And um, I was just giving you guys a couple tips about, you know, how to navigate yourself during the shutdown. Hopefully... All that shit we talked about last episode is out the window. Hopefully, we don't have to do it anymore. Uh, hopefully, we don't have to, you know, worry about things anymore. But if you have any worries or concerns about, or, or you think that this might, the another government shutdown is imminent, just go back to last week's episode, you know, refresh your brains. Of course, some dates are not going to really add up, but, you know, just you know, how policy works and how the government works, just so you can get a better understanding so you don't have to necessarily be afraid if this happens again. But congratulations to all the imbeciles and all the monkeys in Congress and all the imbeciles and monkeys in the White House. We finally came up with a decision to open up the government temporarily. So again, I don't feel like, you know, it was the job of Pelosi. Um, I, I feel like at the end of the day, like I was saying last week episode, um, is that, you know, Trump, you know, felt the heat, you know, it's always the mandate of heaven with presidents. And you got to understand, it's always, if shit is going bad, we blame the president. <laughs> if shit is going good, we blame the president. And, and, and in this case, this was the president's fault. But even in cases where it's not like if say, for instance, like the economy or the GDP growth, sometimes that really doesn't even have to do with the president. Uh, but all that aside, we're not going to be talking about government today. Well, politics, but not specifically government today. But congratulations to the imbeciles and monkeys for opening up the government. Finally, finally. But let's jump on right in to what we'll be talking about today. Um, if today, if we had a title for anything, I know I'm dope as fuck as titles. Um, I, you guys told me that on uh, social media, so <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to keep up with the dope-ass titles. But if we were to name this episode today, it would be Pro-Black versus Black Nationalism. And honestly, a lot of times, Black Nationalism is mythicized to be, you know, pro-black. It's mythicized to be pro-black issues, pro-social reform, when actually it's not any of that. And at the end of the day, black nationalism just draws comparisons to other forms of nationalism and other forms of dogmatic racism. But how can I even start this? I'm a, really for this whole episode, I'm a 
really start off with the branch of what black nationalism is, who practices it, and what's the main difference between that black nationalist start and say versus somebody like the Black Panthers. Because, you know, a lot of people like to say, I'm a black nationalist, and then they like to say, oh, Black Panthers. Like, no, like, Black Panthers were not Black nationalists, you know. If anything, Black Panthers were Marxists who believed in reforming this government into a socialist society. The Black Panthers themselves just knew that at that time, definitely during, like, the 60s, that they had a lot of oppression to go through and to overcome. So they made the 10-point uh, plan system in order to get the things that they felt like they need. But it wasn't necessarily against white people. It was against the capitalist estab- establishment of America. But before we really get into what pro-black is, I'm going to get into what black nationalism is. And and, and this is going to be a very short episode episode. Um versus like all the other informative episodes because this is more opinionated uh this season um we're gonna try to really tone down on like well not tone down on opinionated episodes because you know i am opinionated as the fuck so not really tone down on opinionated episodes but for opinionated episodes we want to start you know condensing them into smaller episodes than informative episodes because we feel like informative episodes help you more instead of just me regurgitating theory or how I feel. But anyway, um, black nationalism, black, black nationalism is basically the thought of that black people are superior than all other races and black people, you know, have the greater oppression out of all races, specifically here in America. And some key notes of black nationalism is, uh, like I said, black people who think they're superior and, you know, black people who feel like their oppression is greater than other demographics in this nation. Now, to to comment on that first, before I really go into why people like Louis Farrakhan or Umar Johnson or Riza Islam, why, why people like those, like those people are just pseudo intellectuals capitalizing off of an off of a oppressed demographic. I really want to get into why I feel like, you know, the argument of whose oppression is greater or who oppression is lesser between oppressed demographics really is counterproductive and it makes no sense. Let's, you know, start off with like history and like uh, we can go back, uh, well, necessarily or specifically the history of slavery and we can go back all the way to 1466, you know, when the Portuguese picked up black people just because they were black. Or we can, you know, go all the way to 1865, end of the Civil War, Civil War, and or we can go to 1964 when the Voting Rights Act was Act was passed. But any point of history, for the sake of you know, Rene Descartes not getting on my ass because I'm not going back further enough in my infinite regress, we're gonna go all the way back to 1466. You know, when the Portuguese came and they saw black people as, you know, uh, the, they saw these black people uh, who were strong, who were very um, not 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 labored induced, but strong warriors who could do a lot of physical things that they couldn't. So they felt like these people were best made for labor because they would they deem these people as, you know, uncivilized are uncultured or um illiterate because they didn't know the culture or language of their own period. Now, that second that understanding social identity, we understand 
why that kind of happened. It doesn't excuse why it happened, but it was just basically white people who came, in, in, you know, in, into Africa and said, you know, you don't look like us. So if you're not inferior to us, then you're superior to us. So we have to make you inferior by some standards. So that's when, you know, after that, the Colombian exchange happened and people were trading, white people were trading diseases and <laughs> and other shit to Europe. And, and, and then, of course, unfortunately, that's when, you know, you would have the slaves come over to Americas. And and this is why I say this is before I get on to why no oppression is greater. I want to, you know. I want to be objective and say, yes, you know, when it comes to America, black people were slaved unjustly and and, and, and being so they were deemed as, you know, people who are under the white man are, are people who not only the white man, but under the white man, but people who couldn't read people who didn't have the intellect to learn how to read, you know, which was false. Uh, so that's why, like, during the 1800s, they restricted their access to any form of literacy. So that, you know, kind of uh, identity could still be placed on the black man of is that we're inferior, but eventually black people learned how to read through one thing that was given to them, and that was the Bible. Now, remember that. I said, I just said, I'm going to repeat it just so you can remember, you know, that certain section, but, you know, black people were strict from literacy, you know, in the eight in the early eighteen hundreds, going on in like even preceding the uh, even uh, succeeding the Civil War, even when we talk about you know the Civil Rights up until the Civil Rights Act, you still had people, um, you know, restricting literacy from Black people just so we can just so Black people can have that social identity of not being smart, not being intelligent, not being intellectuals. So, uh. When we examine that, you also have to examine that you know while all of this stuff were ha- stuff was happening, we were we were the the main thing of social identity. I try to you know connect with it is to you know put all our similarities together, you know. And and again, I'm talking about this oppression is greater because the narrative is normally that you know black people been through more than Hispanic people in this country or black people been more through, through Asian people in this country. And I was like, I feel like we were all immigrants. You know, we were, we were all immigrants. It was just for black people. We were forced immigrants. So over time, it seemed like we had more of an, of a, of an impression than, you know, other demographics of people, which was true in the sense of how long we've been oppressed, but not true in modern day sense of saying that we're, that black people are always at the bottom of the total pole because that's not true. Like even if you look at the look at some true statistics, um, the uh, the the black man makes at least seventy percent of the seventy cents of the white man's dollar, which is still oppressing, right? Super oppressing. That that's not cool. That the white man makes a dollar and the black man makes at least seventy cents of that dollar. But when you go down and trickle down to different intersections. <laughs> the black woman makes at least 60 cents of the white man's dollar while the hispanic man makes 55 cents of the white man's dollar so how how did this come in the case uh, how how did you know how are you know 
black people the most oppressed people, but Hispanic people are more oppressed economically? Simple question. Black people are not the most oppressed people. When you're talking about an oppressed demographic, you have to correlate why are these people oppressed? And you got to understand, usually they're oppressed because they're some type of minority. Just like our history with America's, with the, with the Americas started in 1466. Well, not really the Americas, but our history with, you know, chattel slavery started in 1466. Um, with with let's say for for instance with Hispanic and Asian immigrants, well definitely with the Hispanic immigrants, like we stole most of their land, bro. Like that's the thing. Like we stole a bulk of their land, and and I don't understand why people, a lot of black nationalists don't veer to veer towards this. Like understanding that you know there were people you know living here way before Columbus, way before the days of Columbus, way before the days of the Dutch, you know, way before the days of, you know, uh, Great Britain coming over here and imperializing us. Like, definitely the southern region, when you think about places like Tejas and uh, Florida, where um, before Spain came over and kind of like took over that Mexican continent, you know, it was just a bunch of people living there. You know, even when you understand Aztec and Mayan history, when you understand that, you know, these Spaniards came, you know, with armors of gold, you know, presenting themselves as God, tricking the Native American people and then imperializing them. So throughout that history, you know, you had Mexicans, Mexican-Americans oppressed, not only in the sense of you know, not, 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 I'm not going to say not only, but not in the sense of slavery or chattel slavery, but they had to move su- south of their own homeland. You know, it's like what happened? No, nobody ever asked what happened to the Aztecs and the Mayans. Of course, they got killed off, unfortunately, but nobody asked what happened to those people when we lost, when they lost, when uh, Spain uh, and Mexico lost that, um, lost lost pieces of land during the Spanish-American War. You know, all we remember about the Spanish-American War was Zachary Taylor. Like, if if you remember history, but they didn't talk about anything about, okay, where did all these people go? Like, after the Trail of Tears, it's just like, oh, fuck, man. Like, you know, nigga. And that's totally different, but I'm just saying, every time we talk about, you know, oppression, we just totally omit the oppression of the Latinx people or the Native people of America. So it's like, no, you know, black people are not the only ones oppressed. And even when you think about the Asian community, um, I like to go back as far as 1965 when, you know, after the the war um, of uh, the great, uh, the great uh, war, the, the great second world war, you know, after we, you know, basically obliterated uh, Japan, you know, with the immoral bomb that today, you know, historians say that didn't have to be dropped in the first place. After we had the Korean Wars and we tried to imperialize these Asian continents based off of the Red Scares, like uh, same thing with Vietnam, it left the, it left the Asian, you know, a lot of Asian countries, you know, in worse positions than what they were before the war. And it was all because, and and really after the World War, it was all because America was scared of communism or the idea of communism, you know? So 
Well, these like the but the North Vietnamese, they was cool with it. You know what I'm saying? So it was like they were scared of communism influence. It's called the domino effect. Um, people like Eisenhower believed in it. Now I'm not really gonna talk about all that stuff in this one clip, but just know it's bullshit, and it was a, a ploy made to imperialize other nations to say, okay, well, communism is bad, so to stop it from spreading, we're gonna imperialize and you know uh arm have armed soldiers in these uh Vietnamese and Korean all basically these Asian countries so in 1965 going back to 1965 Lyndon B Johnson passed a bill that said Asian Americans can migrate uh to our um country that that that's totally fine but if they're going to migrate to our country, it has to be the cream of the crop. It has to be the smartest people. They have to be, uh, they can't be communists, you know. And so they had all these restrictions of the cream of the crop Asians. That's why we get this model minority today that, you know, Asians are smart in math and sciences. It's it's not because that they're naturally more inclined than us. Is the fact that the only way for them to come here was if they were that smart. And we touched on a little bit of that on uh, last season, if you've been a fan um, of one of our war series. But I just wanted to bring that up to show that no oppression is greater. So for people to say that, oh, well, you know, black people are more oppressed than Hispanics or Asians. Like, no, that doesn't make any sense. First of all, you have to understand that our pressure yeah, I'm I'm so sorry for the technical difficulties, you guys. But um, basically, I was saying that you know us as a people, definitely you know black people. If we're, we're if we're talking about you know social identity, we have to understand that uh, our oppression is not greater than someone else's. Once we start looking at um, our own social identity being the victims of 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 any type of oppression, it comes from it's no longer a liberation thing, and it becomes a racist thing. Um, like Bobby Seale, a co-founder from the Black Panthers, once said, um, we don't believe in nationalism because nationalism is akin to racism. So you, we always have to watch how we, you know, <laughs> what we really understand. First, we have to understand our oppression. We have to understand deeply why we're oppressed and what makes us the same and why we're not, you know, because at the end of the day, you can talk about, you know, the Hispanic man, you know, uh, you know, the Hispanic man not understanding your your oppression. But again, like those facts I just dropped in earlier the episodes there. And when it comes to economics, they are more oppressed than us. So that's why we need to seek reformation, a class reformation, instead of just this dogmatic rhetoric that pushes you know, this team mentality. And that kind of goes on to my second point, you know, black nationalists, you know, it's so funny that, you know, <laughs> black nationalists, they also deny the LGBTQ community. And and this is multiple black nationalists who deny the uh, uh, LGBTQ community from black Israelites to Louis Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam um, to even African conscious, and now I'll get on African conscious denying the LGBTQ community in a, in a second, but first, to speak on the nation of Islam and black Israelites, I have to be honest and say that, you know, 
black the black israelites you know there's nothing between the black israel there's no difference between the black israelites and the ku klux klan you know when you understand it and again i'm gonna make people mad with this but when you're 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 using when you're saying your god is making you a uh, superior it's saying if, if if you ever believe that your god makes you superior to other races or other demographics that's dogmatic and it's fucking racist like and that's the main thing we pegged the Ku Klux Klan for like because remember they had the burning crosses like the Ku Klux Klan was not a member full of Satanists and I, I don't know why people just like oh well yeah Christian good Ku Klux Klan bad like Yes, Ku Klux Klan, they were far-right extremists who did not even resemble what true Christianity is. But you also have to understand that if we're going to say that, the same parallel has to be drawn for black people practicing the same thing. I feel just a lot of times, a lot of us say, well, we're on the different uh, sides of the power struggle. So, you know, it's not racist for me to say that black people are superior. Like, what? Like, no, nigga, that's fucking racist. Like, oh, I dropped the M-bomb. I really was trying not to. But, man, that is fucking racist for you to believe that, you know, using your religion, you know. That's why I never like people like Louis Farrakhan. Louis Farrakhan is uh, anti-Semitic, homophobic, um, and, and just really a person who capitalized off of his own people's oppression. He didn't have, he never had the goal. That's why he's a flip-flop, you know. He has to choose if he's going to be Christian or <laughs> or Islamic. And, you know, same thing for people like Riza Islam. Now I see that new kid, you know, coming out. And, you know, I seen a video of him saying that mercury uh, is in, uh, mercury and other deadly chemicals are in our uh, vaccines and it's going to immediately kill us. Like, bro, first of all, like, and then I see people share it. I see people share it because, and it's just a video of this cat. Again, it's not the, he, it's not like he posts, you know, cited articles from the CDC. Like, no, because the CDC actually tells you everything that's in it. Like everything that's in a vaccine shot. The CDC will tell you everything that's in a vaccine shot. And the CDC also tells you that Vaccines have no the science. The, the scientific studies have been researched through from the 80s, since the 80s, and there has been no proof that vaccines are linked to autism. I feel like this is yeah, and this is me being a conspiracy theorist, but. A lot of people say it's the nation, nation of Islam and Scientology working hand in hand to be anti-vaccinators. Like, bro, stop that shit. Like, like I'm gonna just say this uh, because I just seen it. But recently, you know, Washington had to, yes, the state of Washington had to declare a, a national emergency because of a measles outbreak, a measles outbreak that ca- that was caused by people not being not vaccinating their ch- their children their children. So when you understand that, it's like, you know, let me bring just a couple statistics uh, that I at least remember the articles on CNN. The outbreak, you know, had so far 35 people. So the government had, so the governor declared a national emergency, like we got to stop this shit, measles outbreaking again. And out of those 35, 34 patients, 30 of them were not, they were not vaccinated. Like what, like, and I feel like a lot of people think they're woke because they're not vaccinating their kids. Like, no, you are not any type of woke if you don't vaccinate your children. 
you're dumb and you're falling into that dogmatic rhetoric of, of Scientology and the Nation of Islam. These people, Riz Islam is not an intellectual. This pseudoscience that makes no sense, that doesn't even debunk true science, that just says a claim, it, it, it's idiotic for us to follow it. And really, like, I'm not going to be so hard on the sheeple because I understand that. And this is why I said at the beginning of the episode, um, and if I didn't say it, I had it in my mind. But this is why I always tell people that corruption comes in many forms, um, in many forms, many races and different shades of color. But uh, a, a black leader of a movement is way more corrupt than a white leader of a movement. And I'll tell you why. Since black people do have true oppression and they have seen true oppression, people like Louis Farrakhan could really just rise up, say some idiotic shit as long as it panders to black people and black people will follow them. Black people will follow them just because they feel like, because they understand that they are oppressed, but you know, since they don't research and since they don't read up or immerse themselves into studies and theories, they just listen to this black man with a perm, with a fucking perm. That's how I know I can't listen to Louis Farrakhan. Like, nigga, if you, if you don't fucking, it's 2019, if you're not rocking a fucking afro, but that's besides the point. They listen to this man because they, he's pandering to their oppression, but he's telling them the wrong things. Not telling them not to focus on class. You know, it's not a class issue. You know, that Mexican hates you. That Jewish hates you. You know, all this shit is dogmatic rhetoric used. Same shit used by David Duke. Same shit used by Richard Spencer to gravitate and galvanize a group of people who have felt left out. And that's scary. That's scary because when all these people are, you know, having this refuter typology, um, it, it really it, it really becomes divisive because you can't debate with these people. You know, I, I'll bring facts on the table and it's like, they'll just be like, oh, well, nah, bro, how can you believe that shit? Like, I'll literally say, you know, the CDC has a whole list of, you know, what's in vaccines. Um and it's, but if you give them the argument, they'll say, oh, so you believe the CDC, dog? Like, it, they get caught in these fallacies of appeal to authority because they believe in what they identify with so strongly that it's, it's hard to get them to understand that it's not true. Like, really, if you were pumped with just 49% of mercury, you will die instantly. So it's like, I don't understand why people don't, like, but why people don't research instead of just, being satisfied with an Instagram video of somebody pandering to your social identity. You have to understand, like, people like, man, how how can Richard Spencer get all these followers? Yes, you know, there are some still racist people in America, but uh, let me not say Richard Spencer. How did the Proud Boys, the far-right extremist group, get so many followers? They got so many followers just how Louis Farrakhan got these followers. Pandering to a group of people who felt left out for some reason or feel left out. So it doesn't matter what side of a power struggle you're on. A racist is a racist and it's simple. And really why I wanted to get to African consciousness last because what's, what I've seen similarities in all black nationalists, they're all anti, um, 
you know, homosexual. They're all anti-transsexual, all anti-pansexual, and they do not believe in the rights of the LGBTQ plus community. And so, but, and, and again, we're using dogmatic rhetoric, dogmatic monotheistic rhetoric, like from Christian or Islam, and it's understandable. I mean, not, it's not understandable because, again, they're fucking dumb and they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. But, I mean, if you examine the Christ- Christianity, it says that homosexual is a sin. Same thing if you examine the Islamic faith, they believe the same thing. So if you have these radicals who are um, very extreme in their beliefs, then of course they're not going to believe that way. But this whole wave of African consciousness, you know, it, African consciousness, like people like Umar Johnson, like I don't understand why African consciousness, consciousness leads us into, leads, you know, African conscious people into this conservative thought. Like, it's like, you might as well be Muslim, because why don't you believe in gay people? Cleopatra the Seventh was bisexual. So it's like, why don't you believe in gay people again? Like, like you know, because Egypt, the Hotep, you know, the Hotep center of where all the African conscious started from, because only, like, real people who practice this African consciousness, only, like, 15% of that history is actually African <laughs> that they practice, but... Even when you understand that, it's like, bruh, you have to understand that if you're going to be this hard on gay people, you ha- don't you think that has to come from that dogmatic religion you worship? Remember when I said earlier that the only thing that black people had as a form of literacy, it was the Bible? Y'all don't see the connection yet? Y'all don't understand that you know, <laughs> that these, the, the same religion that was used to imperialize us and change our wave thought and pattern, like, y'all don't understand that, like, you know, just how they were wrong about, and again, I'm not talking about anybody who worships Christianity, because, you know, hats on to you, I have a lot of Christian friends, I like, I have a lot of Islamic friends, I have a lot of um atheist friends, so it's like, don't, it's not anything about you guys, but I'm specifically talking to the, the crowd or the audience of African conscious. And it's like, if you're leaving this faith, if you're leaving monotheistic faith because you feel like there are, uh, let's say, a lot of African conscious people who study African conscious feel that, you know, the white man uh, used these monotheistic religions to imperialize us. If you feel that way, then why continue to have the same code of moral judgment? Like, <laughs> you know, it's like what Rene Descartes said is like, you know, once I believe one of my beliefs are tainted, I have to throw all of my apples out. I can't just keep that one apple. And I feel like a lot of people who transition to that African consciousness, they don't throw out all their apples. They just throw out the ones that they see spoiled. But the thing is, if you have one spoiled, like Rene Descartes said, if you have one spoiled apple in a bucket full of apples, then like you're going to spoil all the apples. You just can't pick, you know, apples out and expect to say, like, okay, now I got it. No, the only way to understand if you're really right or not, philosophically, if we're talking about actual knowledge, if we're talking about justified truths, if we're talking about justified truths, if we really understand that, you, then you will have to throw out all those apples and start over all over again. And unlike Rene Descartes, I don't feel like you should pick those apples back up and 
place which belief was right. If the Christian religion was wrong, like, why would you take a dogmatic uh, law in the Christian religion or the Abrahamic or Jewish religion and then uh, adapt it to your African consciousness? No, you're still being controlled by that so say white man you think you are. Now, this, this was all in narrative of the African conscious while attacking the African, African conscious. Just so you know that most people who practice African conscious has, have a self-defeating platform. And it really makes no sense. You know, people like Dr. Umar Johnson, you know, he literally <laughs> had people fundraise shit for him. For this school, for this uh, enlightened school that'll help black youth, you know, succeed, you know, specifically black boys. And, you know, we haven't seen the school since. Again, I haven't donated to it, like, because I'm not fucking stupid and retarded. But a lot of people are fucking stupid and retarded. So they donated to this. And, and, and they, they, they put their monies and they put their seeds. And, up, and, and allegedly, according to Dr. Umar Johnson, he had 400000 you know, uh, he received $400,000 just from off that GoFundMe. Again, do I believe that's true? No, I don't believe he got $400,000. But I do believe that people did donate. And it was a scam. He's a con artist. He, I, I mean, he, he's, he has, see, even though he's, a, he's licensed, and, no, he doesn't have his license. No, he, he's certified, yeah. But he doesn't have his license to teach psychology. But I mean... Again, to believe these people are, is, is to fall in, in the same trap of people who fell in the trap of Richard Spencer. You know what I'm saying? Like, I understand that you feel attacked. And I understand because, again, you know, the oppression that we face is real. You know, because we are on the opposite side of the power struggle. So I understand the hurt that you have. But... You have to open up your mind and, 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 and expose yourself to the actual oppression that is day to day and that what everyone can relate with is that, you know, we don't have, you know, a bunch of black billionaires, you know, we don't have a bunch of black Asian billionaires. Same thing with Hispanic. But... What we do understand is that there are black billionaires and that there are Hispanic billionaires and that there are black billionaires. And what we do understand is that the working class has the wor- the, the 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 working class is left without wealth. We know that the 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 wealthy own 40% of the wealth and we also know that people in America that makes more than $500,000 a year, they have a cap of only 37% tax rate. So they only have to have pay their, hey, they have a marginal tax rate of 37%. You know, if you make over $500,000, and that's the cap, like millionaires don't have to pay more than 37 you know, percent marginal tax rate or 39% marginal tax rate. You know, it's it caps out at five hundred thousand dollars. So, you know, these are, you know, some reasons why the wealth are hoarding much of the money during the president during presidency. Like, I, I, let's say, for instance, I brought up Eisenhower, you know, during his presidency, the tax rate, uh, the marginal tax rate for the wealthiest people at the time was at 90 percent. So it's like the the wealth are not paying their fair share share. 
the you know the the working class doesn't have can't live off of you know the sustained wages that we have and so we uh, we understand all that but then we're just gonna say this is just some race shit but we understand all the class oppression and all the intricate fashion that oppress the working class okay fine no shit doesn't make sense and and, and this is where i'm gonna kind of go from black nationalism to what it means to be pro-black what it means to be pro-black is to support social reform that helps african americans you know such things as criminal justice reform and in in and to be pro-black is to understand that not this social reform is not going to only help african americans but it's going to help other disenfranchised demographics of group groups uh disenfranchised demographics uh or identities and you know to be pro black is to be pro lgbtq community because at the end of the day if 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 people got to understand lgbtq is a sense is is an intersectionality so it's like if you're saying you're pro black well, you know that there's black gay people, right? So <laughs> it's like you're saying fuck those black gay people. You know, same thing as if you're a white nationalist. If you say, you know, you're for um, white people, then you're not, but you're not for the LGBTQ community. You're saying fuck those white people. Like, it's like, I don't understand why the LGBTQ, like, like people separate, definitely people with dogmatic rhetoric, they separate them, you know, uh, as a, a different race of people because of the saying that they're freaks saying that you know they're they're not of na- natural occurrence like they're 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 purposeless when all this shit isn't true when all this shit that you do know has been deducted by uh <laughs> stupid ass authoritative reasoning that was used to keep our people in chains so you have to remember that you know, if you're not pro-black, you're not, I mean, you're not pro-black if you do not support the LGBTQ community because you're not pro-liberation. And that's really what makes you pro-black is pro-liberation for all oppressed demographics. You know, you know, being pro-black, we're against ableism, you know, discriminating against people with dis- disabilities. Like, that's what it means to be pro-black. And to be pro-black is to be pro-liberation. And that's what founders of the Black Lives Matter movement proved the most. You know, people like Garza, you know, they proved that, you know, Garza being a gay woman herself proved that, you know, that's what being pro-black is all about. It's being pro-liberation. And if you're not for the LGBTQ community, you're not pro-liberation. So in essence, you turn from pro-black to a nationalist who mirrors David Duke. And again, being pro-black, like I said, you focus on the class oppression. You focus on workers' rate wages. You focus on the welfare state. You understand that, you know, and if you're really lean left, you, you're you for things like universal health care and universal based income, or at least affordable health care. You understand that, you know, a health care shouldn't be, you know, dictated by how much money I get, you know, it's like, just because you got more money than me doesn't mean you have the right to go to the best doctors. You know, like, like that's unjust. And most importantly, being pro-black is to understand the real movement of the Black Panthers and to understand that it wasn't a racist movement at all. And the reason why people like Edgar Hoover wanted it annihilated because the Black Panthers were not only a threat in the United States, but all over. 
the Black Panthers, you know, inspired people in Vietnam, you know, the Yellow Panthers, Black Panthers inspired other socialism and Marxist movements all over the world, adapting their 10-point uh, system and reforming it to a more socialist standard. Like, these people, uh, you know, black, pro-black people were people like James Baldwin. You know, and and again, I'm gonna get a lot of heat from the woke people for saying this, but pro-black people are people like Martin Luther King. Like it's like whatever you say about Martin Luther King, and, and this is for people who are neo neo-revolutionaries who are just nationalists, black nationalists, and they feel like Martin Luther King fucked us up by integrating us. Uh, and my whole thing is that. Who else did anything tangible for our community like Martin Luther King? No matter what you say, Martin Luther King was responsible for the Voting Rights Act. So that's the most tangible thing, because with that, we have built on and created more legislation to be anti that, you know, to be anti-racist, to, to attack racism at its core and defeat it. Like, you know, Rosa Parks is pro-black. You know, and, and, I'm, and I'm making people real mad because now I'm going from people like James Baldwin, Huey P. Newton, Nikki Giovanni, and going straight to people like Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King. But what you have to understand is that even though I, my ideologies probably match more with, like, say, a Nikki Giovanni than uh, a Rosa Parks, you have to understand that all of these people were pro-black. All of these people were pro-black. pro-black. Who who people who weren't pro black were people like Louis Farrakhan, who just straight up said, you know, Jewish people are termites. You know, anybody who's not pure, full breed black are you know they're termites. Like, no, this isn't the case. You know, being a homophobe, you know, these things just make you racist, and you look exactly like 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 David Duke is in your mirror, bro. You look exactly like David Duke. If you're a black nationalist, you're just black. You're just on the opposite side of the power struggle. And honestly, I feel like all that shit is counterproductive because we could really be focusing on, you know, inhaling the rights of the worker class, of the working class and, you know, establishing a true vanguard that deals with this class oppression. But no, people just want to keep it at a, a race base merit system like bro like it's not all about right like let me give you this before we sign off like when during the civil war when you had a uh, white when, when you had uh, uh, uh everybody knows what the civil war was fought over it was fought over chattel slavery uh <laughs> to de- delete chattel slavery from our abort chattel slavery and so or abolish it. That would be the best term. I don't know why I said all these other terms except abolish. But to abolish slavery. But what a lot of people don't understand is that, you know, slavery was really, you know, slavery lasted so long in America because the Southern elites believed that if the clay eaters and the clay eaters not being black people, you know, clay eaters not being immigrants, but clay eaters being poor white people, uh, the Southern elitists, like the people who really had the plantations, they felt that if the clay eaters, if the clay eaters see the black people as beneath them, they'll never see the class oppression. They'll never see, notice that they're poor and that they're being fucked over by the elite. 
Like, like, and, and when you examine this, you examine that, you know, during the Civil War, only less than 3% of people actually owned slave plantations. Now, you had a lot of people who owned slaves, but it was like one or two or three. But the real people who were fighting in the Civil War were clades, were poor white people who just did not want slavery slavery to be abolished because once slavery was abolished they were no longer superior to that black man they were the same because they seen their same resources and the elite wanted that wanted that mindset to stay stay the same wanted that mindset to be for the white people that as long as i'm white i'm better than the richest black person so understand like again like and, and and for this since this is a very opinionated um show very short though um I, i'm open to you know debates i'm open to intellectual intellectual discourse or political discourse or whatever i'm open to you know anybody who has a comment on this uh but i mean <laughs> my opinion remains the same in in like because i i never want to like my thing is has always been for liberation, and I'm sorry that it, that was kind of like an empty space I had there, but you know, um, it just really kind of you know makes me sad because it's like when I see my people cling to this rhetoric, you know, from these opportunities, these these opportunists who really don't want you know black people to succeed, they're just capitalizing off of our own oppression. It hurts because it's like you know. You being a black man saying that you you don't believe in the rights of gay people, you know, but you 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 say you're woke, you know, none of that makes sense. It doesn't, you know. You saying that you're for the liberation of you know oppressed demographics is different, but from saying you're for the liberation and the continuation of black people and black people only. Like, no, this is a world that's bigger than that. And this is why we have to really understand the potential of America. Like, if, if the, the potential of America that has a socialist society. A diverse nation that doesn't focus on skin color, you know, when it comes to policy and law. But, I mean, we're not adult enough to have that conversation about social identity. <laughs> So we're going to really end it here. Um, But I just really wanted to have this quick episode because it's been on my mind lately. I've been seeing a lot of people, you know, with some terrible rhetoric on Facebook. And, and, and it's from good people. That's the thing. It's from good people, you know. good. I know good people who support Louis Farrakhan, you know. But it's like, you know, they only support Louis Farrakhan because, you know, people like that have been mythicized as being pro-black. And I just wanted to take this episode out to debunk that whole claim that, no, people like Louis Farrakhan is not pro-black. People like Dr. Umar Johnson, you know, he's not pro-black. You know, you know, Nation of, Nation of Islam is not pro-black. Black Israelites are not pro-black. You know, they're just racist. But thank you guys so much for staying here with this very uh, controversial episode that I'm sure might not get a lot of views due to the title. Uh, Hopefully it's clickbait and that it gets, you know, a shitload of views like that government shutdown episode did. But, you know, 
before we leave off, um, if you guys, before we, yeah, before we leave off, I just want to tell you guys, like, you know, if you want to always come on the episode, if you want to debate me, come up, if you don't even want to debate, if you just want to ask questions, please, you know, uh, you know, follow us on E2 the podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and, you know, just, you know, holler at us, man, I, I, I'll make sure to start really answering some more questions because uh, we have a shitload of questions in like social media and I'm so sorry I'm not getting to you guys, um, but we just haven't had the time because I really like talking a lot. So I really want to elaborate on all of your points that you send me. So we're, hopefully we can really start getting to like, uh, you know, viewers questions next week. But I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Just some brief insight about... um how I've been feeling lately and the difference between, you know, being pro-black or being pro-nationalist. Um, hopefully throughout the season, we can get some more people uh, on the episode to explain some terms I was saying this episode. Like, I know a lot of people don't know what Marxism is or socialism is, really. Um, so hopefully we can, you know, really have episodes dedicated to, like, theory and what people believe, because this is an unbiased show, so, you know, I'm not gonna only, you know, I don't, I don't only want Marxists on the show, I want, you know, socialists, um, anarchists, you know, capitalists, conservatives, you know, we want all type of people on the show, uh, so, you know, even though I have my views, I do believe that intel- intellectual discourse is a tool of the progressive, and <laughs> so, um, um, I'm gonna just leave y'all with. I'm gonna start leaving y'all with quotes. Um, so uh, I'm gonna just leave y'all off with this quote. Um, Karl Popper, um, a, a philosopher, once said that pseudoscience confirms while science disconfirms. Pseudoscience confirms while science disconfirms. I would tell you what it means, but I like to leave shit open to interpretation, so you can. You know, take that as you will. But thank you guys so much for hanging out with me. I stressed this longer than it should have been. But um, like I said, if you guys w- want to be on the episode, or if you have any questions, shoot them at all of any of our social medias um, at E2 The Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. E2 The Podcast at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are out.